Can you say amen to that song? Amen. Come on, come on. You can do that. Amen to that song, amen? amen. You know, I don't, I don't know, and I, this is not in my notes or anything, but I'm just telling you there's something that is magnificent to think about. There's a heavenly father who's chasing us down this morning. Because some of us are like Jonah, and we're running. And I'm just telling you, he's not going to give up on you. And no matter what mountain you climb up or what lie you're hiding behind, he's coming after you today. Amen? Amen. And I hope you know that. We're glad you're here this morning. And we're continuing our series for something more. We kind of jumped in this a few weeks ago. And we said this out of the gate. And I want you to know this. This is kind of the, the, kind of the heartbeat of the series. And it's this, is that God created you for something more. He created you for something more than just a humdrum, mediocre life of just simple existence. He created you more for that. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, here's the more he created you for, eternal life with him. But if you do know Christ as your Savior, the more that he created you for is that you would experience the abundant life that he has for you. And so last week we began to talk about what are some things that keep us from experiencing the abundant life that Christ has for us. And last week we said this, that one of the big things for us is that when we choose to live a life of just simple religious activity versus building, growing, and nurturing our relationship with Christ. And some of us, that's holding us back. But today I want to talk about another area that I think is keeping many of us from experiencing the abundant life that Christ has for us. And it's this, and I want you to write this word down. Here it is. It's the word regret. Regret. When I was in high school, <clears throat> my senior year of high school, in the cafeteria, I don't know how they do it today in lunch, but ours was kind of weird. And All the seniors were in the same uh, time frame, and so we're sitting there, and I was sitting at a table uh, with, well, actually it was juniors and seniors, same lunchtime, and I was sitting at a table with my best friend who was also a right guard, and I was the right tackle. We were football buddies, and we were sitting there, and he had two friends. They were both girls by chance that also sat at the table with us, and let's just say this. They were both very, very, very pretty and so they were at our tables they knew him they didn't know me so over the course of the year where you set the first day of lunch is where you had to sit the rest of the year and so we began to build a relationship and talk about things and I knew that God was I was I was a follower of Christ I was called to ministry and I knew that these two girls did not have a relationship with Jesus and my friend did have a relationship with Christ so somewhere in my heart and mind I knew that this was an opportunity a window for me to share Jesus with these two girls yet there was this thing that was kind of aching inside of me of that Hey, I would love to ask this one girl named was Nikki out on a date, but I know I probably shouldn't because the Bible does talk about being uniquely yoked, and I kind of wrestled with that, but there was still something inside of me goes, she's, she's pretty cute, and so I think I, I might want to ask her out, and, and I was wrestling with that tension, but I knew this to be true. I knew that I needed to pray that God would open up a window of opportunity for me to truly share my faith with her. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And let's just be honest, many of us in the room, when we pray for stuff like that, we don't see opportunities that God may open unless he hits us up the head with, side of the head with a hammer, right? I mean, it's got to be one of those obvious moments. Well, God gave me an obvious moment. It was during March Madness. I'll never forget it. I had this class where the teacher, who was a basketball coach, let me go do whatever I wanted to do during the class because I had all my credits. And so he's let me go to the cafeteria to watch March Madness. And so there I am all by myself with a big screen. You remember those projection big screen that weighed like a million pounds? That's what it was. And I'm watching March Madness, having a lot of fun. And to my corner of my eye, I noticed that Nikki walks in to the cafeteria. And it's just me and her. There's nobody else in there. Nobody in there. And she sits down. I said, what are you doing? She's like, well, my teacher said I could come watch March Madness too, so here I am. Now, 
this is the moment, right? I mean, I've been praying for this, nobody around. This was the moment that God had ordained, and I knew it. I could feel it in my heart. It was tugging at me. Doug, this is your chance. Let's do this. And guess what I did? I choked. So I said, ask her out. Well, that's, that's probably why I choked. Story gets worse from there. I graduated. Nothing ever happened. Never shared. She began to date a friend of mine that I played baseball with that was a year younger than me. He was actually killed in a car accident about six months after they started dating. And then I get a call from my mom while I'm in college now. Now Sonia and I are engaged to be married, and I'm in college. And, and I get this call from my mom and says, hey, do you remember Nikki? Yeah, 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 I remember her because she said lunch with me. She was the cutie that, yeah, yeah, you remember that? Yeah, I remember her. But she took her own life. And I'm just telling you, listen, listen, here's the thing. I wrestled with regret. I mean, there was, listen, there was about a year of my life that I didn't wake up every day going, I missed the window. And it wasn't the kind of regret that goes, hey, I just missed the window. It was the kind of regret that paralyzed me. It was the kind of regret that made me go, I'm so unworthy. I'm so pathetic. I mean, why would God ever want to use me? Why would God ever care about me? And I just wrestled, and I was paralyzed. There was probably a year of my life that I didn't even really think about ministry. I didn't think about doing what God wanted me to do because I was living in the midst of regret because there was something inside me that goes, what if I... I was the only one that could have shared Jesus with her, and I blew it. Now, here's why I tell you that illustration. It's this. Because all of us wrestle with regret. Amen? Everyone in this room, including this dude on the stage, we all have regret. Some of our regret is based on actions, things we've done, things we've done in the past. Some of our regrets based on missed opportunities, like for me. Some of us have regret just because the way we maybe we reacted to a situation or how we responded to something. But we all wrestle with regret. And if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what you know about regret. It definitely stifles you in living the abundant life that God has for you. So here's what I want us to do today, just, just in a beautiful way. I want us to talk about how to move and to begin to live a life beyond regret. Wouldn't that be awesome if we could move and begin to live a life Beyond regret. Now, does that mean that I should not have felt sorry and remorse for what I didn't do? Absolutely not. But there's a difference in regretting the moment and never letting it happen again and letting that moment create an urgency in me versus me wallowing in just regret and never doing anything about it. I believe there's some people in the room today that are struggling with regret because I know I do. And how do we move beyond that? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Start in the Old Testament and go Genesis, Exodus, and you are there, all right? If you need to use your table context, please do that. Exodus chapter 3. Now, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to mention to you, and I'm going to share with you three struggles I think we all have when it comes to regret. And then we're going to look at biblical truth that we need to cling to if we're going to begin moving beyond the regret that's in our life. Here's the first struggle. You can write it down. It's in your handout. Here it is. It's hard to experience more when I feel less, right? It's hard for me to experience the abundant life that God has for me when I feel insignificant, when I feel unworthy. See, here's what regret says. You ready? Listen to me. Here's what regret says. Regret says you are unusable, right? Regret says you're unusable and you're unqualified. That's what regret says. 
When you live in a status of regret, it's just that mindset of I'm unusable and I'm unqualified. And then we kind of buy into that mindset that, you know, that there's no way that God would, would love me and there's no way. I mean, I don't deserve his forgiveness. I don't deserve his grace. I mean, you think about my past sins and my failures. I mean, there's no way God would love me or care about me. And then we even begin to buy into this mentality that God is so disgusted with my sin and my failures in my past that he's done with me. That God somehow has written me off. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand this morning, but I just pegged a whole bunch of you in the room today. A whole bunch of us in the room, when we talk about regret, it's hard for me to experience the abundant life when I feel less than. I feel unqualified. I feel unusable. And sometimes we even get to the point where we start thinking, God's done with me. I mean, Doug, you don't know my past. You're right, I don't. And I don't want to know your past. But can I tell you this? You don't know my past. You don't know my failures. And so I know we struggle with this, but so I want you to look with me in verse 7 through 10. I want you to notice something in the story of Moses. Then the Lord said, talking to Moses, this is the burning bush account, verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt and have taken and heard their cry because they're taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Jebusites, Parasites, Hivites, all those. And now behold, the cry, I've heard the cries of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send, everybody say it, you, say it with me, you, so come on, come on, come on, say it with me, you, I will send you, he says, to the Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now listen to me, here's the thing, in this passage, I mean, you may know the story of Moses, and maybe you watch Charlton Heston, you know, the, you know, all that stuff, and you kind of know it, but listen, here's the deal, I mean, Moses is in a bad place in his life, and God shows up, and God says, listen, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people, and let me give you a little parentheses, that's good news, that means God always hears the cries of his children. You crying out to God never falls on deaf ears, did you know that? When you cry to God, it never falls on deaf ears. He says, listen, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people, and I've got great news. I'm going to deliver them, and I'm going to use you, Moses. Not anybody else. I want you. God calls Moses out. Now, you say, Doug, why does that matter to us? Why is that significance? Listen, if there was ever a person who was unqualified, it should be this guy. I mean, if you jump back a chapter, here's Moses' resume. You ready? He was born, you may know this, he was born to a Hebrew lady, which eventually became known as the Israelites, God's chosen people, and he was born, but there was a decree about killing babies, and so she threw him in the, the river, and, and then Pharaoh's daughter found him, and yet had the original mother, who was her nanny, kind of take care of him. It's a great story, but he was raised as an Egyptian. That's how Moses was raised. And there was a moment in chapter 2 when he sees the Egyptian taskmasters beating the Hebrew people. And the Bible says that Moses looked this way and he looked that way and he realized nobody was looking. And he went down and he killed the Egyptian. And then he did what all great godly people do. He tried to cover it up, right? I mean, he went and he grabbed the body and the Bible says that he hid it in the sand. 
And then he was so scared for his life that he might get found out. The next day he had a conversation with two Hebrew people that are fighting, and he's like trying to correct them. I'm like, what, how are you, who are you to correct this? Didn't you just kill a guy? And the Bible says that Moses then fled for his life, and he lived in the desert for 40 years. Now think about it. If there's anybody that's unqualified, and there's anybody that's unusable, it is this murderous, deceptive whiner that's unusable. But God didn't see him that way, did he? Did God see Moses that way? No. God says, Moses, I'm going I'm to use you. Now, here's the truth I want you to write down, I want you to cling to. Please don't miss this most important truth. Your past does not define your future. It doesn't. Your past does not define your future. Where regret says that you are unqualified and unusable, grace says, I love you and I'm not done with you. That's what grace says. Regret says, man, God can't use me. I'm unusable. I'm unworthy. But God's grace says, I love you and I'm not done with you. And we see that truth all the way through scripture. You remember the King David? You remember King David? The guy that the Bible says was a man after God's heart. I mean, what a, what, what a great thing to be said about you. I mean, I would love on my tombstone for people to go, Doug was a man after God's own heart. But you remember the story of King David? Yeah, he killed Goliath. Yeah, not that story. Chapter 17, where he's supposed to be at war and he's not at war. And he sees Bathsheba bathing across the way. His servant says, hey, by the way, David, she's married, don't do it. And David's like, I don't care, call her to herself. And she comes over, he lays with her, and, and because he doesn't want to be found out, eventually he makes sure her husband is murdered. And then he denies it. And yet he's still a man after God's own heart. You know why it can say that in Scripture? It's because our past doesn't have to determine our future. What about the Apostle Paul? You may know this story. This was a guy who killed Christians. He would travel around seeking to find Christians to kill them. And on one of his journeys to kill Christians, on the way to Damascus, Damascus, Jesus meets with him and it changes his life. I mean, if there's anybody that's unqualified, if there's anybody that should be unusable, it's Paul. I mean, he hated Christians. He hated what they stood for. He hated this Jesus of Nazareth that he'd heard about. But then he met Jesus and everything changed. And his past did not define his future. And I'm telling you, please hear me this morning. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. Your past does not define your future. That's why the Apostle Paul said this, forgetting what is behind, I press on. Some of you need to forget what's behind so you can press on. See where regret says, I'm unusable, I'm unqualified. Grace says, I love you and I'm not done with you. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and say, God's not done with you. Come on, come on, do better than that. Look at your other neighbor say, God's not done with you. Okay, that's enough talking. Here we go. So here's the second struggle. Second struggle I want you to think about with me. Listen, listen, do you see that in the passage? Most unqualified guy there is. And listen, God used him to deliver millions of Israelites out of bondage into freedom. How much more has God got in store for you? And me. Second struggle I think we all have is this. It's hard to experience more when I can't forgive myself. Man, I've heard that so many times. It's hard for me to experience the abundant life that Christ has me for me when I can't forgive myself. See, regret says, hold on. Live in the guilt. 
beat yourself up. That's the only way through it. In fact, in the 16th, 16th century, there was a group of people that were a part of what was called the asceticism, an ascetic movement, which, which means they basically would withhold some things from themselves because like, maybe they wouldn't eat or drink for lengthy periods of time. We call it fasting because they thought that brought them closer to God, which is great. But then there was an extreme version of asceticism that they would literally, these monks would literally beat themselves with whips self-abuse themselves and thinking that somehow this is drawing me closer to God. Well, that's a lie from the devil. And that's what regret says. Regret says, hey, listen, you need to hold on to the regret. You need to live in the guilt. You need to beat yourself up over what you've done or what you've not done over what you said, and somehow you'll make it through it. Well, listen, does that ever work? Come on, does that ever work? No. Never works. Never works. Now listen to this. Look with me in verse 2 through 6. It says this. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, talking to Moses, in a flame, a fire, out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see the great sight why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, would you be scared to death at this point? Come on. Come on, just drop back about 7,000 years. Would you be scared to death? I mean, you're looking at a bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed, and then you hear a voice? Come on, how many of you just wet, wet your pants at that point? I mean, you're like, what? Come on, don't miss the moment. Moses is like terrified, and listen to what happens. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, I want you to notice something. In those four verses, just, just notice, sometimes when you read Scripture, you need to notice what's not in there. In those four verses, did God ever remind Moses of his past? Come on, did he ever remind him of his past? It was always about the future, wasn't it? He didn't live in the past. It was about the future. See, regret says, hey, hold on, live in the guilt. Beat yourself up. But the truth is, God never brought Moses' past up. And listen to me, the same thing is true for us. And Jeremiah it says this, is that he will remember our wickedness no more. That somehow God has imposed upon himself the ability to forget our sins. That he will remember our sins no more. The psalmist says it this way, that he takes our sins and he throws them as far as the east is to the west. Why east and west? Because they never what? Meet. That's how far it is. And in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't remember your sins. He never leverages the past against you. That's something you need to know this morning. Never. You know who leverages the past against us? The enemy. It's the devil. And we buy into it. God never leverages. See, here's the truth. Listen to this. While regret says, hold on, forgiveness says your debt has been paid in full. While regret says, cling to it, beat yourself up with it, forgiveness says, my debt has been paid in full. Now, I want you to hear me this morning. When you said yes to Jesus Christ, your sins were forgiven, past, present, and future. You are forgiven. Not one day you will be forgiven. I 
am forgiven. Not one day I will be, I am. Now, Doug, why do I ask God to forgive me for my sins? Because all I'm doing is acknowledging that the way I'm living is sinful, and I want a right relationship. I'm restoring fellowship back with him. But you are forgiven. And here's the truth I want you to write down. When God forgives you, he forgives you completely, not partially. And I'm just telling you, one of the struggles many of us have is I can't experience more when I can't forgive myself. And I want to say something kind of to the point, and I want you to hear in my heart this morning. If the creator of the universe, who spoke six times in the world into existence, who's in control of all things and sovereign, has forgiven you, and yet you say you can't forgive yourself, here's how I classify that. Arrogance. It is arrogant for me not to forgive myself when the creator of the universe has paid my debt in full. And some of us need to know that today. Let me give you a third struggle. And I think this is a big one. It's hard to experience more when I feel shame. You know what shame is? Shame is feeling bad about who I am. Probably the best biblical example I can give you that is Peter. You remember when Peter was in the upper room and, and Jesus is having this conversation with him and Peter's like, I will never deny you. And Jesus says before the rooster crows three times, you know, twice you will deny me three times. I mean, remember that whole dialogue that they had there? And then remember when, when Peter actually, after the rooster crowed and the third time he denied him, do you remember what the Bible says? It said he left the city weeping bitterly. Peter left the city. Why? Because there was shame in his heart. And listen to me, shame always leads us down a path of giving God excuses as to why we can't do what he wants us to do. Shame always takes us down the path of giving God excuses as why we can't do what he's called us to do. You know why? Because we feel unqualified. We feel unforgiven. In fact, listen to the excuses that Moses gave based on his shame. Look with me in verse 11. Moses said, but who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? In other words, he's saying, Lord, I'm a nobody. I'm insignificant. Nobody's going to pay attention to me. Look at this other excuse in verse 14. He says this. He says, uh, I mean, sorry, excuse me, verse 13. He says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say? In other words, who do I say sent me? I mean, you're telling me all this stuff, God, but, but I, I don't even know what your name is, God. I, I, I just can't do this, God. I, excuse after excuse after excuse. Look at this other excuse he gave. We can keep going, but look at verse 10 of chapter 4. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue. In other words, I don't have the right words, God. Are you getting the sense that the shame of Moses, who spent 40 years in the wilderness and the desert, just kind of living a life of regret, he's got all these excuses to God is why he can't, Right? And that's where I think many of us struggle. We struggle experiencing more because we're at that place where we feel so much shame. We look in the mirror and we go, I'm not happy with who I am. And so, God, I can't. God, I, I, I can't share my, my, my faith with my friends. God, I, I can't share my faith with the girl that I want to ask out sitting across the cafeteria lunch with me. God, I can't share my, I, I can't, I, I can't, God. And we give God a litany of reasons why we can't. Here's the truth I want you to cling to. I want you to write it down. God has big plans for your life. In fact, his plans are bigger than your plans. Look what God did with, with Moses. Look at what God, how God responded to his excuses. Look at me in verse 12. God said to him, but I will be with you. Hey, Moses, you're not doing this thing alone, bro. 
I'm with you. I'm not asking you to walk the journey alone. I'm going to be with you. Look with me in verse 14 what he says. He says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. In other words, Moses, the person that sent you, I'm the eternal one. I'm the one that the world has existed because of me. I mean, Moses, you're not talking about a man you represent. You're representing the God of the universe, Moses. I'm with you, and I am. I mean, I am the God, Moses. And look what he says in verse 11 and 12. This is my favorite. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. In other words, Moses... I'll give you what you need to say. Now, here's what God is telling Moses. A Moses whose life is filled with shame and it's filled with excuses. Here's what God's telling Moses. Moses, I love you, but I'm going to be with you. And no matter what you need, Moses, I'm going to give it to you. No matter what you need. Moses, I know you feel shame, man. I know you're hurting. But I love you. And I'm going to be present. And where you have shortcomings, man, I'm going to give you exactly what you need. See, the great truth that we need to cling to is this, is that no matter what our past has been, God has huge plans for our future, and we don't need to forget it. Because where regret keeps us from doing God's work, true faith, true faith realizes and trusts that God's got a plan for my life. I know that if I could sit down one-on-one, with everybody in this room, there's so many of you, I'd hear this from you. Well, you know, because of what I've done, God would never use me. Because of what I've done, I just can't forgive myself. Because of the shame I feel, I can't do what God's called me to do. And I'm telling you, you are wrong, you are wrong, you are wrong. Listen, if God can use an, a, a murderous, deceptive, unqualified whiner, he can use you. And I'm just telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus today, if you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, the only way we can live a life and move beyond regret is by doing those three things. First of all, knowing that my past does not determine our future. Secondly, that we are forgiven. And thirdly, that God has big plans for my life. And here's my question. Do you really know that? Not up here, but do you know it right here? Because I know some of you, are going to blow me off and go, but Doug, you don't understand. I don't need to understand. God already knows your heart, and he loves you anyway. That's called grace. And some of us need to take hold of that today. You need to take hold of the fact that you are forgiven. You need to take hold of the fact that he's got great plans for you. You need to take hold of the fact he's not done with you. And so today, I want you just to hear my heart, that today, the best way for us to respond, the best way for us to understand and celebrate the grace, the forgiveness, and the plans that God has for us is by coming to the Lord's table. So when you come to the Lord's table, there's bread and there's juice, and you know that bread, you know what it represents? It represents a body that was beaten for us, the abuse that Jesus took on our behalf. And then the, the, the cup represents, and the juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed. And in a moment, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, listen to me, if you know Jesus as your Savior, we invite you to the tables in a moment when we sing. But as you come to the table, listen, as you take the bread and you take the juice, the body that was beaten and the blood that was shed, it should remind us the grace that God has given us, that we don't deserve his love. But he loves us, listen, just because. He loves us. And as we take the juice and we take the, cu- and the, the bread, it's to remind us of the forgiveness that comes 
through the shedding of Christ's blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Jesus shed his blood for us. And as we take the bread and take the cup, it should remind us that God has huge plans for us. Because Apostle Paul said it this way, until Jesus returns, continue to declare the death and the resurrection of Christ. His plans for us is to be his mouthpiece to this world. So here's what I want you to do. Everybody look at me real quick. If you're a follower of Jesus, and when I'm done praying and the band begins to sing, I want to invite you to come and take the supper. Take the bread. Take the juice. You may want to take it as a family. You may want to take it as individuals. I'm going to have deacons up here. They're going to, they're going to serve you. If you need them to pray with you, they'll pull you aside and pray. It doesn't matter. This is your time to respond to what you've heard today. But let me just say this. Before you take the supper, the Bible has a mandate, and it's this, that we first need to examine ourselves. That we first need to take a hard look in our own heart, in our own life. And can I tell you what I know is going to happen this morning? Can you, can you just hear this? Here's what I know is going to happen. If we take a hard look at our life, some of us are going to need to come get on our knees at the altar and confess some sin. Just be honest. We're going to have to come and say, Lord, this sin is in my life, and it's been, it's, I've been a slave to the sin. God, I want to confess it to you. I want you to remove it from me. Some of us are going to have to confess sin. Other of us are going to need to come and we're going to need to let go of some regret. Maybe you're like me and there's that thing in your life that you've regretted for years and decades and today you want to move beyond it and you've got to let it go. Or maybe some of you need to come up here this morning at the altar and you need to pray and say, Lord, I've not been used by you. I've let regret keep me from being used by you. And I'm making a new commitment that I want wherever you send me, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'm in. And so if you're a follower of Christ, before you take the supper, before you take it, I'm going to ask you to examine yourself first. You may need to come at this, this, this place that we call an altar and get on your face before God and pray. And some of you may say, Doug, well, why, why, why is coming to an altar and getting on my knees and praying important? Well, let me just tell you why. Let me, give, let me give you a reason, honestly. Sometimes I think the posture of our heart should be reflecting the posture of our body. And I know that there's two primary Old Testament Hebrew words for worship, and both of them imply posture, physical posture. And so when we come and we get on our knees before a holy God and cry out to him, that is a reflection of our hearts. So I'm just challenging, maybe today as you examine yourself, the altar is open for you. And then if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, please hear this. Here's the greatest regret you will ever have, is if you spend this life doing it on your own, and one day you leave this world, never giving your faith to Christ and never trusting him as your Lord and your Savior because you will spend eternity apart from him. And I don't want you to have that regret. So as those who are followers of Christ are examining themselves and then beginning as they feel led to take the supper, if you don't know Christ today, I'm gonna be standing right by this chair and I would love for you to come down and say, Doug, would you please tell me what it means to know Christ as my Savior? And I would love to leave you and move you from regret to rejoicing. I want everybody to stand with me. Everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody, every head bowed and every eye closed. Just stand with me, just for a moment. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Just before I pray, I want you to be clear this morning. Some of you are wrestling with regret. And regret is in your ear, and it's telling you you're unqualified, you're unusable, that you need to live in that regret, and that, that you just aren't going to do God's work. But listen to me. What we found in Scripture today is this, is that God's not done with you, that your past does not determine your future, that if you know Jesus is your Savior, you are forgiven, 
and God has huge plans for you. And if you want to experience the more and move beyond regret, it's time to examine your hearts. I'm going to pray for us, and when I'm done, they're going to sing. And before you move to take the supper, whether you stay in your seat or come to this altar and pray, I'm going to ask you Christians to examine yourself. And then as you feel led, make your way to the table and take the supper. And if you don't know Christ, please let me know, and I would love to lead you to him. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for all that you do for us. You are a good, a great, and a marvelous God. And God, when I look at the story of Moses, I look at a guy who was a whiner, who was unqualified, and yet, God, you used him in a powerful and a miraculous way. And God, selfishly, I want to be that guy. I know that I'm undeserving. I know that I'm sinful. I know that I've blown it. I know that I don't deserve your love, but you give me your grace anyway. God, may there be some believers in the room today that move beyond regret, that we let their regret go. We confess our sins and we say, Lord, I want to be used by you. I want to be used on my campus. I want to be used in my home. I want to be used in my workplace. I want to be used by you, God. God, may you wreck our hearts this morning but may you wreck them by reminding us we are not unworthy because you say we're not. You love us. You care for us. And may we today move beyond that regret. And may we move closer to you. So God, as you would lead us today to examine our hearts as believers, help us do that. And Lord, for those who don't know you today, would you give them the courage to step out of the rows and their seats and make their way to me and just say, I need to know more about Christ. God, today, would your spirit just fall fresh on us and move in us the way you see fit. And Lord, may we be faithful to respond. We love you, Lord. You're amazing. And it's in your holy and your precious son's name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Now listen to me. If you're a believer, I want you to examine yourself. Take a moment. Take a verse. I don't know. There or at the altar. And then as you feel led, you make your way to your tables and we'll serve you the communion. And if you don't know Christ, please don't let this moment slip by. Please don't let this moment leave you without knowing that you know him. Let's respond as God would have us.